You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. My name is Jay Mack in the slowly melting city of St. Louis, Missouri. And this is Sam Wade out in uh, sunny California. Thanks for rubbing it in, bro. <laughs> We've got a really exciting show. We're gonna do. We're gonna get into the to the ether today. The psychic, psychological, strange kind of possible vibe realm. I don't know. I probably oversold it there. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe I don't know, but I have, I'm sure I'm curious to hear what the hell you're talking about when you describe that. I would just like to remind our listeners: a new show drops every Wednesday on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, everywhere quality podcasts are found, and it's free too. You don't have to pay for it. Some people, when I've been doing podcasts for years, people would say, "Well, I don't. I want to listen to your show, but I don't want to have to pay for it." Well, you don't have to pay for anything. It's free, absolutely freaking free. That's amazing, J-Mac. Are you telling me that every single episode right now is free? I, I will say this. If if you don't like it, we will give you everything you paid back. I think that's totally a fair assessment. And again, when are we putting out new episodes? Every Wednesday, sir. Every Wednesday, new episodes. So mark it on your calendar. I know you guys have probably got nothing better to do than listen to us. I mean, certainly this is going to be one of the most entertaining things you do all week. So write it, write yourself a note. Put it on your phone. So it, it, there's like alert. You get up and it'll be like, bing, 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 bing. Two tape decks and a po- <laughs> two tape decks and a mixing board have a new podcast. I love that. I think that everybody should follow that advice. Sam, where can they get a hold of us? You go to facebook.com slash two tape decks and send us a message. We, we respond to everything that, that uh, you send our way. We'd love to hear from you. We are at the stage of our podcast careers where we have time and the means to respond to every uh, message we get. I mean, I would like to get to the point where there's no way we could respond to everyone. But at this point, get in on the action while the action's good. You can, you can get a hold of us. Tell us what you think about things. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Whatever, whatever's on your mind. You talking to me? I'm talking to everybody. Everybody. Talking to me? We're the only ones here. <laughs> All right. So this week, Sam, I kind of wanted to uh, talk about something. I'm just going to, I don't know what I'm going to call this episode, but let's just say for the sake of now, I'm going to call it the life of a musical instrument. Not necessarily how it gets made in a factory, but let's just say it's made in a factory, goes to a music store. What happens to it once it's picked up in the store and brought home? What happens to these instruments? There's probably millions of instruments at this point. I'm I'm going to focus more on guitars because that's something I think that's probably a little bit easier to buy than a piano. I do have a piano upstairs. I don't know what the history is from it. I bought it. I actually was given to me from my friend Adam's mom. Okay. So that's, that's a cool piano. I've I've played that piano. It has a good sound. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the one your parents have. Do they still have that piano? No, they actually, uh, uh, they that was an old spinet that uh, they got when I started taking piano lessons when I was real young. Um, they actually sold that piano, and my dad finally got a Yamaha Ooh. upright. Ooh. It's, uh, actually, it's a studio. 
It's a Yamaha studio. It sounds amazing. Nice. It's, it, it's really great. How many instruments do you have, Sam? Just give me a rough estimate. I have a lot of instruments, J-Mac. I probably have instruments in total, uh, not just guitars. I mean, I'm, there's probably uh, at least, you know, 60, 70 things around here that I can make some sounds with. But guitars, I mean, I have, uh, I have, I have a lot of guitars. And I think there's actually been so just as many as I have now as um, that have passed through my hands, like through trades and playing for a while, you know, which I think is part of our story we'll talk about too. But you know, I, I like if you look behind me on the wall, I have three Yamahas, yeah, uh, three vintage Yamaha acoustics on the wall, and I have one more out in the in the living room. And the reason for that is that they kind of just kind of came to me. Like it's 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 weird. Like when I lived in Denver for a while, I kept finding these Yamaha acoustics for you know less than a hundred bucks, and they actually sound a lot better than they cost. So I just held on to them, thinking I would use them on something. So one of them I keep high strung and the one I, I keep uh strung standard and they're different shapes. It's like, you know, it's, it's like having different tools in your toolbox. Would yep. you agree? Like one's a flathead, one's a, one's a, a Phillips, you know? Yeah. I would always, when I played in bands, when I first started anyway, I just, I decided I needed three guitars uh, so I could have the right sound for every song, which was kind of overkill. <laughs> I, I eventually cut it down to two because I really I realized I only needed one for a spare in case a string broke. Which occasionally yeah. happened, but yeah, there are tools in an in an arsenal. I I've got, I actually learned on a Yamaha guitar. It was my my aunt Kathy's guitar, I believe, and my dad had borrowed it for years. I think my aunt Kathy took it back. It was not a good guitar, but it it served its purpose. I've talked yeah. about it before. Um, as the strings went farther down the neck, it became completely impossible to push them down because they were literally an inch off the fretboard by the time they got to the sound hole in the pick guard. Right. But the top the top three or four frets worked enough for me to learn and it also gave me uh huge calluses which enabled me to really play for longer <laughs> when I got an electric guitar. Um I have an acoustic guitar, which is actually my, my friend Adams who passed away. I guess you could say I think about him when I play it. He wasn't a lot of much of a guitar player, but he bought it so he could play Black Sabbath with me. The first the only song we ever learned on it was electric funeral and i remember sitting in his the the cellar of his first house and we played i had my acoustic i think it was another yamaha and we played on it i also have a classical guitar that i got for father's day i think three years ago at this point because classical is easier on my fingers and with parkinson's sometimes I, i don't have the hand hand strength so it's nice to be able to play nylon strings i've got a flying v i've got a rickenbacker i've got a gibson sg i've got a epiphone bass like I said, different tools for. I mean, I don't, I don't want to bore people. I've got a ukulele and a mandolin, which I'm I'm not very good at the mandolin, but different tools for different things. And I feel like when I pick up a guitar or any instrument and play it, I feel like part of my. This is going to sound kind of out there, but part of my spirit, part of my essence, goes into that instrument. And I just can't imagine an instrument that's been handed down through generations or or we were talking about Prince a couple episodes ago. Right. How much of that dude's spirit is still in his instruments? I don't, um, I don't think it's, it's complete now uh, that it's completely out there. Okay. I'll say okay. that. To okay. Begin this. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that we don't understand. And I am certainly one who 
tries to think outside the box when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I've had experiences um, that I can't explain in a way that is something that happens. Um, I would say normally something that you can rely on. Like I've had things happen that seem out of the ordinary. Um, and I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, that maybe impressions or, um, a transference of energy, not in a, in a new age way, even yeah. like even in a scientific way. I mean, all energy can do is be transferred. I yep. mean, that's, it's, that's what it does. So why not when something, when it was, when, when the instrument is being played, and especially if it's loved, um, as it's, you know, and I mean by that, because it gets played a lot, right? Like it, it, it becomes like someone's like sidearm, maybe like yep. they got, they always take this one out. Um, the vibrations of the fretboard caused the molecules of that thing on a, on a quantum level to be disturbed and sound waves are passing through it all the time. Why couldn't some of that get trapped in between all that stuff? If you want to go from a scientific standpoint. So I just don't think it's, it's, it's crazy at all. I think it's, it's magic. Um, all science is magic anyway. If you don't know, you know, exactly what you're, what you're dealing with anyway. Right. Well, think about this. I mean, I have very sweaty hands and, not only not not only are my you're laughing at me, not only are, are the notes and everything going into it, but my the literally like molecules for my body are soaking into the fretboard. I mean, any, anybody that plays has some amount of, you know, sweat. But I mean, I sweat a lot, especially on my SG oh, and my flying I, v that I played in, in bars a lot. That, I mean, I don't know. You could probably recreate me from the DNA in, in my fretboard. <laughs> that's amazing dude yeah i totally get that like my hands um will sweat a lot too like i used to or i still can tarnish a whole like a brand new set of strings within like one or two sessions if i'm not making sure that i like um clean off the guitar afterwards oh yeah i definitely have to wipe down my guitars when i play <laughs> when i played in a band i i would always have like a like a soft cloth on my guitar stand so when i was done with the set i could wipe the neck yeah. down i mean i feel i feel like it's going to sound corny, and I don't really believe this, but I feel like instruments are almost like people to me. They each oh, have interesting. they each have their own personality, their own quirks, their own yeah. things that that they do well and the things they don't do as well. We could we could go on and on about instruments and what if you want to play if you want to play like a real heavy riff, you want a certain guitar. If you want light and fluffy, you want another guitar. If you well, want- some of that is just like the construction of it will make it, you know, it could be different pickups. It could be yeah. um, where the pickups are placed, what kind of strings are on it, what's the shape, if it's an acoustic, especially the shape. And I got a question for you, though. Yeah. Do you give names to your guitars? I I mean, my Rick Inbacher, I call my Rick. Yeah. Uh, my Flying V, I, I just call it the V. That's I cool. I don't have like Lucille or anything. Maybe I should start naming them. That would be kind of cool. That's an interesting thing. Like, you know, not all of the instruments that I've ever owned, I would say the lion's share of instruments that have passed through my hands, whether I still have them or they've moved on to another owner. Um, I didn't give them names. A lot of them was like a utilitarian reason. Like I might need it for a song I'm recording in the studio at the time, or I need a backup guitar for this band that I'm in, you know, or, you know, and it needs to have humbuckers. But there are a few of my guitars I started giving names to, um, and this has been more recently. And I think sometimes it does. It, I, I give names to guitars that seem like they're different than the rest, which is why I love buying used guitars. 
um, because they're they're unique and they might be a little beat up. You have to put a little work into them and get them working again. But they have a unique sound, especially if it's old and vintage because the wood is matured and aged, you know. Well, when I was shopping for a guitar, I guess it was 2006, my neighbor had a Gibson SG. And I'm I'm a big ACDC fan. I love Angus Young. I love those riffs. And um, so I went shopping for an SG. I liked the shape. And I, I went to this place that is closed now in St. Charles or St. Peter's, the Guitar Exchange. Did you, you know what I'm talking about? It was on Highway yeah, 94. Yeah, I know that place. The guy, mm-hmm. the guy died and the, the place closed. But I went in and I picked up. Uh, it was a, it was a might have been an Ibanez. It was real flashy, like real glossy paint. Real, I mean, they spent a lot of money on the paint. And I picked up this SG, and I don't know if you know what an SG faded is. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah, I've seen those models before for sure. The faded to make it more affordable for cheapskates like me who have the money just don't want to spend it. They skip the last step in the varnishing process. So basically you're getting a stained uh, stained guitar without the varnish because the varnish is, I guess it's a couple hundred dollar process. Sure. And well, at least that's what they can uh, for their pricing structure, right? Yeah. And I picked up the, <laughs> I picked up the eye, but as I played it, it sounded good. It had really good action, probably better than the Gibson. I picked up the Gibson. I thought, there, there was imperfections on the neck, and I'm, what, I, what I mean by imperfections, you could feel the wood grain. There was, there was like a, not a ripple, but there, if, if you ever, next time you come over, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the guitar. You'll know what I'm saying. And the imperfections in the neck made me want to buy the guitar. The deep wood grain on the neck, especially on the part of the neck where I play the most, which is up on the first few frets with the cording, and right. that that decided between the very shiny, very playable metal as hell ibanez and the gibson sg so it was yeah. it was the imperfections not in the sound but in the in the the texture and i like the fact that as i played the guitar it would it would fade where i played it i think that i totally agree with that kind of aesthetic i mean um just to take a pause here real quick from the you know the guitar porn that we're talking here some people <laughs> are probably like i have no clue what you're talking yeah, about yeah. a fretboard or other stuff and 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 we're sorry for that but the point that we're trying to get to with all of this too is to talk about um what you what you said the uh the uh, imperfections yes the kind of the the vibes that might translate across there and you know um, I think that it's it's cool to talk about the details, though, because that's a standpoint that we have. But for someone else, you know, it, it might be the difference of uh, the condition of some rare book yeah. or it might be a vintage of a fine wine or it might be, you know, a, a different kind of car. Maybe there is an engine block that was only made for a certain period yep. of time and yep. people are looking for that kind of stuff. And this is this is our reference point with guitars. And I think that what's really amazing, one of the things that really stands out to me um, when I get used guitars too, is just is to kind of see the wear and tear on it, where you see like where someone played it. Like, are there a bunch of marks down at the bottom of the of the uh, of the pick board, the the pick guard underneath the sound hole of the guitar? Yeah, where the the pick got dragged down on the acoustic guitar and like broke it up in the same exact spot because they strummed you know t- tens of thousands of times and it just kind of ate away at the wood there or. Or uh, on the on the fretboard where you hold down um, you you hold down the strings so you can make chords. 
um some people they would like get rid of a guitar where it got really worn down oh no no that's that's the best time to to play more i totally agree um jmac i have this guitar i'm i'm actually looking at it right now um it's in front of me it's a it's a 1937 uh harmony archtop and i don't recall uh the model offhand but it's it's one of those archtop guitars which is a hollow body but it has f holes it doesn't it like a like a violin it doesn't have a, a sound oh hole. yeah yeah those are cool i've I, i've played one of those before and i can't remember who had it but it was yeah that uh, did you bring it to st louis when you came last time Oh, you know what? I did. Yeah. That's yeah, what you I was did. Playing. Yeah, I yeah, love it. Yeah, you've seen it. So yeah, th- that's a really cool guitar that just kind of that actually that was one of the first guitars that I ever gave a name to because it was just so uh, much different than anything that I had owned before in an instrument. Like, like I said, it was built in 1937. It's like it has like it's a it's a it's a wood um, sunburst uh, or like a honey burst where it's like by the strings. It's a little bit lighter in color. You can see the wood grain. It it looks like a violin. It, it's almost the same color. And like some of the paint on the edges where there's trim is worn off and the neck, the back of the neck is just completely worn down. There's like no finish on it. And up at the top of the fret where you hold like a D chord and a C chord and a G chord, what they call like cowboy chords. Yeah. It's completely worn in. And I just imagine that the guy that had it before me probably just sat there and just played like blues, like over and over again. Um, I got it off of Craigslist for basically a song. It just sat on the wall for the longest time. And I took out the guitar and fixed it up. And literally I started playing and writing songs from that guitar that I, I don't think I ever would have written any other way because they almost came out of that guitar. Does that make sense? No, it does because sometimes you pick up an, an instrument and like you said, this is definitely guitar porn, but I feel like our listeners know they're listening to this because they like our perspective on music, but sometimes you'll pick up an instrument and you'll strum a chord. And from that chord, from that sound, a song will be born. For instance, I've written songs on my Flying V, which is a big, it's a metal, it's a Gibson metal metal guitar that I might not have written on another instrument because I picked it up and was noodling around and I got these chuggy sounds. I'm like, that's a song. I never right. would have written that on the SG or not as uh, not as likely to, certainly wouldn't have written it on an acoustic guitar. I've got project, projects I'm working on now on my acoustic that I would never in a million years write on an electric. You hear a sound it sparks something in your brain. And that's what I'm, I'm, there's like a symbiosis between musicians and their instruments. Would you not agree? I totally agree. And I think it's the exact same reason um, in a, in a parallel way, why instruments like Stradivarius violins are so sought after. Like apparently there's something about these, the specific trees that they use for the wood and the process of how they prepped it. And like, all these almost like, uh, or not almost, but these trade secrets and how they built these specific violins have a sound like no other instrument. And I'm saying, like, I think, I think what, what, what we're both saying is that those kind of mysteries can be found even in just like your average everyday or seemingly everyday instrument too, if you are quiet enough to listen or kind of feel it, which is something that I think like, you know, other songwriters will, will get. Like sometimes it feels like we're kind of just, pulling something down out of ether right like almost like i i describe it and i think i heard this illustration somewhere can't even recall where i heard it but i imagine like if there's this river this inverted river flowing over my head constantly right bear with me so this 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 rushing river is is floating over my head and i have i have like a like a ladle cup i can reach up at any point 
and pull some of that river down and and use it and drink it and and make and create something um i don't know if it's that way for everybody but that's certainly how it has been for me um i usually get in trouble by overthinking it <laughs> but it's that it's that idea that maybe something can either have a vibe attached to it or someone's soul maybe a little bit soaked into it or there's it's used to being played a certain way and it brings out that song you so know? Th- that's exactly what i'm talking about and i'm going to segue in here to uh my indian music mm-hmm. i bought a sitar for my teacher Im- imrat khan who had it made in india for his family specifications and i would i would encourage our listeners if you want to see how a sitar is made it's fascinating it is absolutely fascinating go to youtube and type in how a sitar is made they're made out of teak wood which is a very light wood. It very it it vibrates. The the strings, the, the 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 vibrations of the notes go straight through it. And uh teak wood is a variation of mahogany, but it's very light. It's got a gourd on the end where where the normal where the body would be on a guitar. And the bridges are made of deer horn, ebony, and occasionally camel bone. It, talk about an organic instrument. That's a that's a truly incredible. Uh, it sounds like a witch's brew. All those little pieces coming together to make this thing. Well, and here's the thing: I haven't played my sitar a lot lately. I've got it out of, like once a week for the last few weeks. It's been cold, and we haven't been recording a lot of "Tomorrow Never Knows." Tnksongs dot com. <laughs> and I got it out today, and it was kind of it was kind of. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't use this word, but it was kind of. It didn't really want to do what I was asking it to do because it was. It was feeling neglected. Now, people can say, sure, sure, it felt neglected. But let me let me explain something. The more you play a sitar, the more in tune it gets, the more the vibrations vibrate through the neck. You don't play it. it it's almost like a sitar can go stale. And it's not, yeah. it's not just the tuning, but it's like the sitar needs to be played to stay healthy as a healthy instrument. I know I'm getting all weird and crazy, but I'm serious. If you've ever, that's not, that's not crazy though. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty common thing where you like uh, instruments that are in like cold storage, you know, they'll do things like send standing waves through it or like make sure it's played so that the wood stays fresh too. Yeah. And I, I would say that I have a relationship with that sitar and sometimes it's very combative because a, Sitar is brutally hard to play, and B, I'm I'm not always up physically to do it. But whenever I do play it, and I get in that that zone, and I played it enough, and I can feel the vibrations going through it, and the sympathetic strings, which are the underneath strings that vibrate the main strings for our listeners, it's it's talk about magic. It is magic. But this afternoon, it was not magic. It was telling me, you haven't played me in a while. And that's why I say mu- instruments are almost like people. They get they get in moods depending on the temperature, depending on how much attention they've got. I'm, I'm getting corny here, but you know what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying. You pick no, up a guitar no, you haven't I played do. in six months. It's going to talk to you. It's going to say, you haven't played me in six months. To, to, for me to do what you want, you're going to have to warm me up. You're going to you're gonna have to baby me a little bit. I love that illustration, man. You know, and I think that that's all these things that we're talking about is the reason that there's so many like famous guitars that have names. Yeah. You know, if you want to talk about the journey of an instrument, let's talk about Lucy. Now I'm not a, a, an authority on this guitar. Now, when I say Lucy, something like think, you know, of, 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 of BB King, that's actually uh, uh, Lucille. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, no, Lucy was this red Les Paul that uh, uh, was owned originally by Eric Clapton. And it was given to George Harrison as a gift, right? And this guitar has kind of floated around for a long time. I think it's the guitar um, that George played on something. I don't know that 100%. I have to look that up. But I do know for sure that it's the, the, the guitar that he was playing at the end of Abbey Road when they're all doing their jam. Yeah. I'm talking about, and they're like trading off solos every yeah. four bars. But also get, so check this out. It's, it's the same guitar that um, when George had Eric come into the studio uh, when they were recording uh, the White Album, um, which was pretty rare occurrence to have someone else play on a Beatles album, right? It was usually just like session musicians, yeah. like orchestra players. And Eric was there and um, needed a guitar. They were going to record a, a, a guitar solo. And then there was that guitar there. He was like, how about I play that one kind of a deal? Holy hell, that's awesome. And that's what he used to play on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. So that guitar is like passed through several hands. I think there was something, I think that guitar originally was given to Eric Clapton by somebody else. I should I should look that up. Doesn't uh, The Edge play a guitar he calls Blackie? That sounds right to me. Because he's got that black, it's a black Stratocaster with a white pickguard, I believe. I'm telling you, music in, musical instruments are, they're alive in a certain way. And that's what my teacher, my sitar teacher would always tell me. And I don't know what happened to his instruments. I mean, he played them for, I mean, he was 74 when he died. So you're you're thinking probably he played them for at least 70 years. I don't know if he's, he probably didn't keep the one he started on. But let's say he played them for 50 years. For hundreds and thousands of hours. I when I would go over to take lessons, I never ever once ever asked to even touch a sitar. It's like you don't wow. do it, you don't ask. Um, I would I have loved to have touched it certainly, but I feel like if I would have touched it, I feel like I wouldn't have got a little of the magic that he had. And I think that's why I wanted to touch it. I wanted to, hopefully, all the soul and spirit that he put into it over the years. I would no, know. I totally get that. You know, I I did that when I was. Uh, have you ever been to Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee? No, that sounds awesome. That's where Elvis and Johnny Cash recorded. Am I right? You're absolutely right. That's where Sam Phillips had his studio. I, you know, not just not just Elvis and Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, Hank Williams, like all of these guys recorded out of this place. Um, and in the in the '80s, you two on their rattle and hum uh, era. Uh, went there and recorded uh, a few songs at Sun Studios. Wow! Um, to be released on on uh, Rattle and Hum, and uh, so when I took a tour of Sun Studios, Larry Mullen Jr.'s Yamaha drum kit was in the studio, and you could go and sit down at it, which I did. Oh hell! I mean, I st- and the like, you know, all this. You know, that's the that's the studio you've seen, like in in that in that movie Walk the Line. You see it in the background with like it's totally um, got its own look. It's all, it's all white. And it's that kind of like textured uh, white panels with the little holes all in a line. Like yeah. you see usually on ceilings yeah. that covers all the walls. Um, like it, I stood there at like the same mic that like Elvis Johnny Cash sang in. I mean, that's pretty cool when you know that this stuff was used for the specific purpose. Right. And I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking is more of, more along the lines of maybe 
non-musical people wouldn't pick up on the vibe of an instrument or you gave a good example of microphone but you can't help feeling something willie nelson's trigger his classical guitar that's all beat to hell don't tell me that if you were to pick that guitar up and (laughs) may willie live another hundred years absolutely but don't tell me if you pick that guitar up that when you plucked it, you wouldn't hear the same sound that's on all those Willie Nelson records. One hundred percent. This is not something that like we're the only ones talking about. Like, you, did you know that this was like Neil Young's big thing? No, you. I mean, you mentioned something to me earlier this week. Why don't you or earlier today? Why don't you? Why don't you drop it on me? Well, I mean, the, he has this thing. I remember watching this documentary called The Heart of Gold, and uh, he's doing a concert at the Ryman, and uh, another place Johnny Cash played. Oh man, that place is legendary. Yeah, I was I was lucky lucky enough um, last December to be a part of a festival where I got to sing on stage a song that I written. I was there with uh, my friend Keith Levinson, and uh, we got to sing um, and perform a song that we wrote together uh, called Twelve Million. Check, anyway, check so, it out, Sam Wade Music. SamWadeMusic dot com. Yeah, it's and, good. Uh, Trust me, folks. You want to go listen to this? It's really good. <laughs> well, thank you, J Mac. I'll be I'll be releasing some new stuff too uh, soon on that. Um, but in this documentary, uh, Neil Young is he he's he has some interview footage where he was talking about like he doesn't like to buy new instruments; he buys used instruments. That's awesome! I love that. It's kind of like love it. secondhand furniture, secondhand records, or something. It's there's there's something there's a history there to what you're buying. You're not just buying something new off a shelf. It's got vibrations and memories in it from something else. And I, I truly believe that. I I know that he does when he talks about it. Like he says that there's certain songs, like, you know, like I was talking about with my guitar that come out of that, you know? Um, so I just don't think it's out there. Like uh, I, when I go to like estate sales or thrift stores or record stores, I always wonder about that. Like um, someone had this in the collection at some point and they, they probably played, let's say it's a record, like, you know, what if they played that record like every Sunday, you know, when they clean, when they clean the house or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, they, there was a love and attachment and a memory associated with it. I just kind of wonder sometimes if that stuff doesn't just kind of carry on. Maybe. Well, I was telling you earlier today that I went to the local slackers plug slackers.com. It's a great used music video game. It's, there's a bunch of secondhand stuff in there. I love it. It's in St. Louis. Support local businesses when yeah. you, whenever you can. And I, I try to do that, especially since COVID. I get out with my mask and I go in and I try to spend money at local spots. Because let's face it, if I don't go out and you don't go out and nobody goes out, those places will close. And I found I was searching through the Tony Bennett albums because I'm kind of in the crooner phase right now. I'm kind of getting my old man crooner thing on. And I found a That's couple. Cool. I found a couple Tony Bennett records and a, a, a Count Basie record, who's an old jazz guy. I brought him home, and the first one I put on was Tony Bennett. The second one I put on was Count Basie. And, and when I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, when was the last time this was put on a turntable? Was this a part of somebody's collection that passed away, and their kids donated all their stuff to slackers. I, I have no way of knowing, but I don't think the normal 45 year old, almost 45 year old is collecting Tony Bennett records. It's probably older people's collections. And I just wonder when was the last time this record was spun? 
And it kind of made me pause a little bit, and it made me listen a little closer because the last time it was probably spun, somebody probably really, really liked it because they probably either just bought it or had recently bought it and, and played it a lot. I try to keep my records in heavy rotation, but let's face it, I mean, back in the day, if you've got a bunch of records, you probably play them a few times and then put them back and, and don't get them out for a while. So every time I buy a new record, I think, who owned this? Where did it come from? And I pause and really spend time to listen. It's almost like a time machine. Music is a time machine. It's you're, you're hearing something that happened. In this case, Tony Bennett, this recording was like from the early 60s. So that's 60 years ago. Right. 60 years passed, and he's coming through crystal clear because I got a really good copy and I got a really good needle on my really good record player. And it's it's transcendent, dude. And just like a record can hold memories, I feel I feel I do feel like musical instruments can hold memories. And this is where I'm going to get a little sappy and a little sentimental. What happens when we pass on to our instruments? Who plays them next? Does anybody play them next? Do they end up in the pawn shop? Do they end up in an attic? Do they end up in a a junk pile? Hopefully my Gibsons don't. <laughs> my sitar, who's going to play it when I'm not here? Good luck finding a teacher. All the hours I've spent on that by myself and being taught by my teacher, Imrat Khan. Where do these instruments go spiritually after I'm gone? It's it's a heavy thought. It is a heavy thought. Um, I think it's worth pausing and thinking about those types of things, though. I mean, those are the kind of quiet thoughts that we don't really like to to always dwell on. I think it's, you know, it can be terrifying. The other day I was sitting upstairs and I've, I've got a little area in the upstairs of my house where I've got my sitar, my acoustic, and my Gibson SG. And I was playing my Gibson SG and I hadn't played it in a while. And it was sounding really good. I got this little bitty amp. It's like a little, like five inch speaker. It's kind of cool. It's got this kind of crunchy sound. And I was looking at the wear on the fretboard where I'd, where I'd done so many D and G chords and A chords and E chords. And I wondered, granted a house fire or something, this instrument will outlive me. Where does it go when I'm gone? It's, right. it's a heady thought. It really is. But, you know, for, for me, when I think about that, you know, one of the things I, I just like to think about is, you know, if I use something for a while and I end up like passing it on, I think I got a healthy... Um, comfortability because I've had so many used instruments over the years. I'll use one for a couple of years and then maybe I might trade it in because there's something I want to upgrade to, or I want to change hands, or maybe I'll give one to somebody, uh, whatever it is. Uh, I never felt like I owned them in the, in the first place. There's a very few instruments where I would feel, um, I mean, I have, I have my memories, my attachments to them. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not that it's just, um, most of the stuff that that's just how I think about everything um in 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 general is that most things are just stuff that just passes through our hands and then um someday when we're gone or uh it will pass on to somebody else and someone else will get some enjoyment out of it you know i just recently when i when i moved to uh la i sold my jeep that i had in colorado i missed that jeep oh dude you you had some cool you had some cool videos with your gopro or your phone when you'd go over the mountaintops with that awesome Oh, dude, that was my where does this road go vehicle. That's why I bought it, because I would go out into the mountains and I would be like, where does that go? And, I, and it would be like a bumpy road where I couldn't take a car. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, when it, I, I didn't want to bring that out here to LA uh, at the time, cause you don't want to drive that. I, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic, but you know, you don't, you don't want to drive a Jeep with no air conditioning around San Fernando Valley. And oh, there was no AC. Oh yeah. That's, I could see why no, it, that wasn't going to happen. So I had to let it go. Um, maybe someday I'll get another one, but the point is the person I sold it to, you know, she loved that thing, right? Like she was so excited to be like, I want this Jeep. And I felt kind of good about that because I was like, oh, I know it's going into good hands and she's going to enjoy it just as much as I did. And it's just, it's just one of those things. And so now, you know, I had my enjoyment on it for a few years and now now she gets to enjoy it. I agree. When I first found out, I, well, I didn't know I was sick at the time. I knew something was wrong with me and I couldn't play my guitar and I was out of work and I needed to sell some things. I sold an acoustic guitar which in the long run I should have kept because I only, only got like 50 bucks for it. <laughs> but the guy who bought it seemed like he really wanted to learn how to play and that he was very interested and he he wanted to know about why I was selling it because uh, it was a good guitar and it was like, why are you getting rid of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sold a big, and I had an amp. It was a Line 6, huge, like half stack Line wow. 6 amp. And I sold it to a guy that I think he wanted to play in a band. And I mean, I was not happy to be selling this stuff. Don't get me wrong. I was, I didn't know, I didn't know I had Parkinson's. I knew something was wrong and I couldn't play right anymore. But even then it was kind of like nice to know it was going to somebody who was going to use it. It wasn't some thrift store where it's going to get knocked around and it's probably going to get broke before it gets sold or some, some jackass is going to buy it. and use it for, you know, some kind of stupid smashing competition on YouTube or something. I'm exaggerating. (laughs) It was nice to meet the person who was going to take it home and love it. You know what I mean? Well, absolutely. I mean, isn't that kind of what we're talking about anyway, is like you have something that that passes on, maybe something that outlives you. I think a lot will hope that there's something like that that they're doing. A lot of people see that in their families and in, in their kids. They're, you know, growing their children and, and, and like teaching them to, to be adults and, and, uh, that's their legacy. And some people have their art, you know, some artists like Van Gogh wasn't even recognized when he was alive. Yeah. 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 He was, he didn't, he couldn't sell nothing. Like, I don't think he really yeah. made, he, he didn't become known until he was, after he was gone, which kind of sucks, but. Yeah. I mean, well, Nick Drake was the same way, like Nick Drake. Um, released three records um, while he was alive. And he died very young, you know, Um, uh, very young. I don't think he's in, I think he was one year shy of the 27 club, uh, if I remember correctly. But I I don't know that for sure. He might be in there. Um, But he didn't, his his records, I mean, he was probably lucky to sell, you know, a few hundred, maybe a few thousand records at the height. So made them very valuable and, and rare now, but, um, you know, later on, one of his songs was used in a Volkswagen commercial, <laughs> and like, everybody wanted it then, and everybody knew about it. So, I think everybody hopes that like maybe something will get passed on, someone to remember you by, right? Well, Imrat Khan, my teacher, I keep referencing him, but I he left a huge impression on me, and he told me one time I, he was kind of in an introspective mood, and he said. I think we were talking about the possibility of an afterlife. And at the time, I I guess I was kind of just getting ready to leave the church and kind of 
go out on my own. And he told me, he goes, he said, I don't believe in an afterlife in the way that you think. Interesting. He said, I believe that I will live on through my students. What I've taught to my students will stay with them. And after I'm gone, my students are my children. And essentially, I will live forever or past my own expiration date through my students. We viewed it as his children. And I was like, how, how profound is that, dude? How profound is that? The impression that he left on me, the musical legacy that he passed on by just a fraction. I'm so I'm so inadequate to play this instrument. But he's with me. He lives on through me. That's right. And and when I pick up the sitar to do something for myself or tomorrow never knows or whatever I'm doing or just to just to noodle around, he's there. And that is so overwhelming to think about. And I've given a few guitar lessons through the years. I'm, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm not big on my guitar playing skills. I never have been. You are so much better than me. I love playing guitar. I'm not, I'm not that good at it, especially not now. But I still love to play. I can, I, if I'm ever feeling down or depressed or anxious, pick up my guitar. All that goes away. Yeah, but that's how, important. But how overwhelming is that? To think that just just a few guitar lessons I gave, whether they're still playing or not, what I taught is still there somewhere. And it, it, I got to tell you, I, I I think maybe I should have went into teaching as opposed to warehouse work. Because when you teach, you live forever in your students. Absolutely, man. It's true. People don't realize how important teachers are. Think about how... Um, you know, just a few episodes ago, uh, we had your father-in-law who was my teacher mm -hmm. on the show and he was, uh, definitely one of the most influential people on the way that I, you know, thought about life at a young age, at least in sparking my, uh, curiosity and my wondering, my parents certainly were a part of that too. And he, he will live forever. Like I said, may he live another, another, another hundred years. He will live forever through you. And I mean, isn't that the thing, right? Like that's the, that's what um, kind of the magic is, you know, because if you stop and think about everything that we do in life and if you really think hard about it, let's not do it now. <laughs> but if you really think hard about it, sometimes it can be like really, really overwhelming. It is. You're like, it is. Of course it is. <laughs> that's the point. That's part of it. Um, but I think that uh, when we have, you know, should I say like the buzzword of, of living in the moment when you start to do stuff like that, I go back and forth from it, man. Like sometimes I'm way better at living in the moment than other times. But when you're doing that, you know, life has a different kind of meaning and a purpose that you would never find any other place. And I think that passing that on and spending time with each other, spending time with you know, in this context with our instrument, you know, it's possible that some of the stuff does carry on. And that's what I like to think. And I feel like that's a really good spot to end the show at. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. I feel like this was a more emotional episode than, than we've maybe done previous. <laughs> I know, man, like we're getting into like, you know, you know, existential mode right here. That's okay. That's part of that. You know, that's, that's part of what we do on the show. We talk about life through the lens of music. 
that's because music literally is the lens that we see everything through. It's been one of the constants in our entire life. But everybody, whatever lens they use, is all, you know, just trying to figure this thing out that we all call life, this existence that we're in. And I think it's totally fine. We'll just take a moment with this episode and just kind of just chill. You know, right now, if you, you know, go and find someone to give, give them or give, them a hug. Find to give, it, give you a hug uh, if you need that. Um, it's OK. We're just we're just trying to keep it real. Talk about life through the lens of music. Well, and I like to think that you never know exactly what you're going to get on every episode. You may uh, this this proves that you may laugh or cry because there's some laugh moments or some cry moments. Dude, we're turning into the to the Hallmark Channel of podcasts. I think. <laughs> but let's see if we can get Oprah on. <laughs> I would love to talk to Oprah. Let's oh my God! I wish I had Oprah money. You're getting a podcast, and you're getting a podcast, and you're getting a podcast. Yeah. Podcast. Woohoo! For two tape decks and a mixing board, I'm Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying until next week, stay cosmic. cosmic.